Hey everybody, this is Mark Stein, lead singer, keyboardist with Vanilla Fudge, and you're listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast with Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast. I am Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is the world famous rock drummer Carmine Apice from the Vanilla Fudge to Cactus to Beck Bogart and Apice. He set the standard for dramatic arena rock drumming. And he's also played with people like Rod Stewart, Ozzy Osbourne, and Ted Nugent, among many, many others. And in the second half of this episode, like I do with all my musician guests, we're going to do something that I love to do that's called a song fest. I picked out a handful of songs that are part of Carmine's history, and we're going to play them, and we're going to talk about them and have some fun. And nobody else does this on podcasts. My featured song in this episode, and I always feature a song of mine in the introduction and at the end, I think the dog might like the song here, (laughs) is my reimagined version of Jimi Hendrix's Fire. This is the live version that was recorded at the Nisville Jazz Festival by my band Project Grand Slam, and it was released on our album Greetings from Serbia. I chose this song because it's from the same great era as the Vanilla Fudge and also because the Fudge toured with Jimi Hendrix. So, Carmine Apice, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Follow my dream, huh? That's right. You've been following your dream for a long time, am I right? Yeah, exactly. I went beyond my dream. (laughs) Was it always your dream to be a musician? Well, yeah, I was going to be a a drummer. I just wanted to be like my drum teacher, make a living at music, you know, playing weddings and bar mitzvahs and all that stuff. And, and uh, I just happened to make it in the record business, which uh, was kind of a surprise. Did you start off playing weddings and bar mitzvahs and stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All through my teens, I played that stuff. I did everything from jazz gigs, weddings, bar mitzvahs, rock gigs, church dances, all kinds of stuff. And That's then, how you uh, learn, right? That's how you get experience. And when I was 17, I bought a brand new car, 64 Chevy, 327 four-speed, you know, and with the money I made from playing. You could get all the drums in the car? I could, actually. (laughs) Those had big trunks, those cars. I told this story before on the podcast. I played with a guy when I was in high school who was a keyboard player. He had a Hammond organ and a Leslie speaker, and he had a VW Bug. And oh, yeah. somehow he fit the Hammond, the Leslie, and in him in the VW Bug. No, no, no way. I'm telling it. you, I saw it. I was there. No way. Maybe a <laughs> VW bus, those, those buses. There's no way you can, you can put a Hammond organ, a All right. I got to prove in, it to you. And somehow. a Leslie in, in a Bug. He, no he way. He took out everything else in the car. All he had was his seat. Does, how do you get it in? The <laughs> V3 is, is so big. He had to cut a, cut the whole back out where know. the engine is. No way. I can't tell you how we did. It wasn't a B three. It wasn't a B three. All right, we're starting out with a fight here. I like this. Okay. <laughs> I guarantee it. I mean, I, 
we play with vanilla fudge and the base with the pigeons. We used to carry that thing upstairs. And, you know, and there's no way you can get that in a Volkswagen bug. Well, speaking of the vanilla fudge, you know, the, the fudge, when I was coming up, and I'm a musician too, and when I was learning my craft and I was a teenager, the fudge were absolutely my first band crush. Okay, you guys nailed it. Oh, wow. I love what that first play? album. Play? I play the bass. So, of course, I was oriented towards Tim Bogart and his bass playing. But, you know, the band was just great. And, you know, I had your old bandmate Mark Stein on the on the podcast before. So he right. talked a little bit about, you know, the, the band and the experience and what it was like to to be part of that era. I want to hear that from you. I mean, you came up. This was this was the great era in rock music. OK, the 60s and the early 70s. What was it like? It was the beginning. Everything was new. We were pioneering everything. You know, Mark, we, the band pioneered the music. I was pioneering drums with drum, Ludwig Drum Company, just pioneering different uh, things to make the drums stronger and the sizes. You know, big big drums, bigger sound because there were no PA's. You know, so everything was a a, a first, a pioneering thing. It was it was very interesting, actually, a lot of fun. But you know, like. And Vanilla Fudge was the first band to be on the Ed Sullivan Show without a smash single. We had a smash al album, but we didn't have never had a smash single until a year later. You know, which so, we're hanging on, went back up on the charts, the top five. Interesting. I didn't know that. You keep me hanging on was which was obviously the big single by the Fudge. It was right. not big at that time when you were on the Sullivan Show. It was big off the album. I see. You know, because you know, album oriented radio was just starting out. And they played the whole ver a seven minute version. When we first came out in 1967, we had a shortened version that went up to maybe number 70 on the charts. And that started us off. You know, and then like two months later, we released the album. And the album went, I mean, one week went from 200 to 33. And within like uh, six weeks, it was number four. But in the meantime, you were on the Sullivan show, you're saying? But we didn't have a smash single. I see. Well, we, this is before we went on the Sullivan show. Uh -huh. The album was in the top 10, like number you know, four or five or something like that. And then, then we did the Ed Sullivan show. And then a year later, when we were touring with Hendrix in 68, in September, they re-released that. They re-released uh, a Cream song. And both the Cream song and Vanilla Fudge song went up to up the charts. So we, we went up, hanging on, went up to number five or six. And then it brought the album back up. And then we had two other albums on the charts. We had three albums on the charts, one in, one in the top 15, another one in the top 30, another one in the top 70, and a top five single. Incredible time. What was it like touring with Hendrix? Well, it was great. You know, we, we, we had fun together. We all knew each other. I knew Jimmy before he made it. You know, we used to play clubs around New York City, you know. It was Jimmy James in the Blue Flames at the time. But he always played with his teeth. And uh, and one time, I remember distinctly, we played this one club and we went to this black prostitute apartment uh, in the Upper West Side, which is now all ritzy, but it used to be the shithole, excuse my French. You know, it's like Panic and Needle Park, if you remember that movie. <laughs> yeah. You're probably too young for that. No, I remember. But uh, and we'd be smoking a joint. Jimmy would say, I'd love to make it. I'd love to make it one day in the record business. And I said, man, I just want to make a living playing. If I can play like this and make money, you know, and just make a living, I'll be happy. And then next time I saw him after that was in two or three years later, 
he was in, we were in England. He was in, in uh, speakeasy where we, Vanilla Fudge was going to play like in a few days. We were there early. I saw him. I went up to him. Say me, it's Carmine. Remember we played the Lighthouse together and I was with Ronnie Lee Jack and my band, Dean Parrish and blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah. You know, and we talked about making it. You wanted to make it. <laughs> I guess you made it. Now you're Jimi Hendrix. He said, yeah. He says, what are you doing here? I said, I play with Vanilla Fudge. He goes, man, I love the fudge. <laughs> you know, so that, that sparked off a, a, a continuation of a friendship. Fantastic. You know, I, I actually saw Jimi Hendrix when he played at the Cafe Wa in the village. Oh, wow. He was, yeah. he was like the guitarist. He was like the house guitarist at the time. I didn't know who he was, but he was a left-handed guitarist. He was Jimmy James. Okay. But I'm just saying, I didn't know his name at the time. And then, you know, he went to England and he came back and now he's Jimi Hendrix. And I remember seeing him on TV or whatever. And I said, oh my God, that's the guy from the Wah. Yeah, well, that's exactly what happened to me. And I, I saw an ad, um, you know, like a, an article about him and he'd seen him playing with his teeth. And looking at him all flamboyant, except his hair was different. I said, "That looks like Jimmy James," you know. And I find out it was. And then that's when I met him in England. You guys played with some other big names, didn't you? The Fudge. Well, we we had big names open up for us. Let's put it that way. Wasn't wasn't one of them Led Zeppelin? Yep, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Cleveland's Clearwater, Sly and the Family Stone, Frank Zappa. And more and more. And they all opened for you. Yeah, Three Dog Night. That's yeah, something else. All huh? opened. Even the Grand Funk Railroad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, ha I had a, a bunch of the guys you just mentioned have been on the podcast, including Mark Farner. I didn't, I didn't ask him about the time he opened for Vanilla Fudge. I'll have to do that another time. Yeah, that was at a festival in uh, Miami. It was, uh, they were on it. We were the headliners. They worked under us. And there was also Janis Chaplin was under us, and also Johnny Winter was under us. Unbelievable. At the, huh? end, at the end of the night, Janis Chaplin and Johnny Winter came up and did the blues with us. And when Janis uh, was up there, Johnny stopped his solo. Janis came back to me and, and put a bottle of Southern Comfort in my face and turned it up. <laughs> you know, and I took a slug, man. I almost fell off the drum stool. It was like so potent. <laughs> you know, but it, those were great days. They were really great days. Because before the before that, it turned into a music business, you know. We all did stuff, but we didn't, you know, we all did stuff, but we didn't really, um, you know, it wasn't all about the money, you know. Today, it's all about the money. It's a different world, like you said. Oh, forget it. But you're still playing. That's the great thing. Still playing, thank God. You know, I'm 75 and still, hopefully I got another 10 years in me, you know. Good for you. Now, you went on after the fudge, and was Cactus the first band that you formed after the fudge? Yeah, that was supposed to be with Rod Stewart and Jeff Beck and me and Tim. Okay, that's what the plan was. That's why we broke up the fudge to do that. And then it ends up Rod didn't want to work with Jeff because they had financial problems. So Jeff was going to come over, and we were going to find another singer, and then Jeff got in a car wreck put him back 18 months and we didn't want to wait around 18 months because we just broke up, broke up vanilla fudge. who was, you know, pr still pretty big and we didn't want to wait around. We wanted to keep playing. So we put cactus together with Jim McCarty and Rusty day. Jim was in uh, Mitch Ryder and, and at Detroit wheels and Rusty day was with the Amboy Dukes. So it was kind of still a super group. That was the idea. 
because Blind Faith was the big supergroup of the day, and we were going to make another supergroup, which you have Peck, Rod Stewart, me, and Tim. So when it didn't work out, we did Cactus As Is, and it became uh, a legendary band, you know? It influenced a lot of people. Absolutely. It was a great band. I think I saw you guys play. I'm not sure, um, but I think I saw you guys play. I know I saw the Fudge play a number of times, okay? Right. I actually have a signed album cover with your signature on it of the fudge that somebody really? gave to me about 20 years ago. That's got to be uh, worth what? A million dollars now? Yeah, uh, probably 10 cents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding out for the million dollars. Come on. There you go. Okay. Hey everybody. My follow your dream handbook is an Amazon number one bestseller. It's a combination memoir of my unique musical journey and a step-by-step how to for you to follow and succeed at your dream. It's available at Amazon and wherever books are sold. Check it out today. Let's go to that second half of this stat about the first album, about your recollections. The Ticket to Write. Tell me about that. Ticket to Rye was just a song that we picked out. Uh, in those days, we were doing these production numbers, and we were trying to match up songs to lyrics, uh, music to lyrics. So Ticket to Rye was just one that, you know, if you listen to the lyrics, she's got a ticket to ride, she's got a ticket to ride, and all that stuff. You know, that she's basically, it's basically a hurting song, you know? So... We slowed it down because when the Beatles did it, you know, it was like happy. She's got it. Right. You know, it's not happy. You know, just like you keep hanging on. You keep hanging on. It's not happy. You know? Well, that was your thing with the fudge. You slowed these things down. You made them more dramatic. Who came up with this idea? That was, that's the idea that was going around New York City and Long Island at the Action House. The band that really started it was the Vagrants. that had Leslie West in it. Right. And... Uh, but it really started originally with the Rascals. They, used, they, they did cover versions of other songs. And then the Vagrants did that same thing, except they slowed them down, made production numbers out of them. But, but they didn't go for listening to the lyrics, and they slowed down everything, you know? So we, we kind of gelled the lyrics with the mood of the, of the, of the music, like Ellen the Rigby, you know, we did that. So it's very eerie and moody. Right. You know, it's cemetery, spooky, season of the witch, spooky. Uh, people get ready, churchy. You keep them hanging on, dramatic, hurting, emotional, you know. So we tried to do that with all, anytime we did a cover, you know. But when, when we were done, it wasn't really a cover anymore. We rewrote the song. Exactly. It was all yours at that time. Yeah. All the, all the intros and all the chords even. We changed chords. You know, we, what we should have done is copyright the music separately of the song, 
which we we did that recently with the uh, Stop in the Name of Love. We copyright the, the music as Journey in Time slash Stop in the Name of Love. So if that ever gets in a movie or a TV show, we end up getting publishing rights. Get some royalties, I see. Good for you. Okay, so let's go on to the next song. I picked out one of the songs by Cactus called Tightrope. Tell me about Cactus. Tell me about Tightrope. Boy, that's a new one. Wow. I'm surprised you picked a new one. Well, I, I think that that's off our very brand new album. Came out this year, 21. And we're going to do some shows next year. But uh, it, it had an, the first time we did with the new lineup. We had Paul Shortino to play with Rod Stewart 14 years. And we did a, a load of gigs in Europe and America with Paul and the new bass player, um, Jimmy Caputo. And we did a lot of gigs with him. So, you know, we, we went to Randy, our, uh, Randy's studio. He's a harmonica player. He has a studio in his house in Long Island. And we, we actually did this like we used to do it. We started running, playing riffs and putting riffs together. We were all in the same room. And we put that album together. And I think as, as far as production, song quality, and songwriting, playing, I think it's one of our best Cactus records, actually. It's a nice way to record. I do the same thing with my band. We all get in the same studio. We, we play live, if you will, in the studio, as opposed to, you know, how it was done for so many years where it would be instrument by instrument, you know, track by track. I just don't think you don't get the live feel that way. Well, that's what we're doing. That's what I do. And my new album, um, Energy Overload, uh, is with me and this guy, Fernando Podomo. He plays bass, keyboard and guitar. Right. And we do everything by the internet. But when you listen to the album, you'd never know it. Because you got to know how to record like that to make it sound like you're live in the same room. We're going to play one of the songs by him at this point. You got something with him called Rocket to the Sun. And that was done, believe it or not, I sent him a drum track, mm. just the drums. And he put the music on top of my drum track. And what he told me, he says, because you play melodic drums and the way you play with dynamics, I could feel where the in intro is. I could feel where there's a verse where it's changing into a pre-chorus. 
and we're changing to a, another mood, like a solo or whatever, I could feel it in the way you're playing. And that's how I wrote the music to that drum track. Interesting way. So in other words, when you did the drum track, you didn't have that song in mind? No. What did you have in mind? I never heard about doing it that way. I, I, don't, even, I don't even know where that drum track came from. I had, it, I had eight, you know, eight or ten tracks of stems on my computer. I don't even know where, where I recorded that or why I recorded or to what song. <laughs> right? So that sparked after he did that, because we did it to one of the other songs called uh, Little Havana, Big Havana. And he, Little Havana was like a Latin rock, heavy Latin rock song. Yeah. And then after it, I went and did this parchment form, kind of really fast shuffle, just the drums with accents and fills. And I said, see what you can do with this. And he wrote this whole cool piece of music. So now it's called Little Havana, Big Havana, <laughs> right? as one piece of song. You know? And then I said, wow, that came out so good. Try this. And I gave him Rocket to the Sun. And that was great. And so I gave him four more on that record like that. And they were, they were, I won't tell you where they came from, but they came from albums that I did years ago, right? To a whole different song, but you'd never know this it. This is very interesting for me. I never heard of anybody writing in that fashion. Yeah. So now we're, we're doing a new King Cobra song, new King Cobra album. I told Paul Scioltino, who's, you know, like, the producer, I'm the executive producer, he's the producer. I said, listen, you got two albums that we did with King Cobra, right? You have all the 24 tracks. I said, instead of writing to a drum machine, take drum tracks off there and let's write to the drum track. I said, I just did this on another album and then I'll recut the drum track, you know, to the new song. And that's what we did. So we got 11 songs like that now. Wow. Good for you. It's, I mean, it's, it's a good idea. I mean, it's, instead of playing to a drum machine to start, if you're going to record like this, we have to be separated. And you know, when we started recording uh, King Cobra album, it was like June. And it's taken a long time because of this COVID baloney, you know, going back and forth and everything and, and getting the guitars on it and everything. So we're very close to almost... Maybe a few few weeks away, we got all the songs written and all that. But I had him do that, and I said, "Don't use the drum machine. Use something in the tempo that we've done before. Take the drum track off and play to that. That's right to that." All right, a different way of writing, but you know, COVID has made us all do things differently, right? Totally. All right, I want to go back a little bit. Go back to Beck Bogart and a piece, mm -hmm. and I picked out your version of Superstition. Because I love that cover that you did of the Stevie Wonder tunes.
tell us a little bit about that. Okay. When we did it, it wasn't a cover. How about that? That song was written for Jeff Beck by Stevie to repay Jeff for playing on his album, Talking Book. Right. And so Jeff had a demo of Stevie playing the basic parts and then Jeff and Jeff's bass player and Cozy Powell playing the demo, which sounded very much like what Stevie did. Right. And Stevie did a full demo of it by himself. So we had that version. So when BBA was in recording, we started recording it as a trio with Jeff playing the riff and we changed the we changed the whole vibe. Almost like Vanilla Fudge did. Right. You know? And and but that was the way we conceived the song, right? So your version was first, you're saying, in a sense. We recorded it first. You know, well, he recorded a demo, which the is demo. what they released, which is he released, Lutown heard it and said, we're going to release this. Right? That was his demo. From his demo, another demo was done with Cozy Powell and Jeff Beck's group. And then when we actually recorded it, we recorded it in December of uh, 72 at Chess Records in Chicago. And we recorded our way. And if you, if you listen to it, we have different lyrics than he had. On, I think it's the second verse. So we did our version, and then while we're, we were recording it, getting our record ready, they released his version, and it went to number one. So then after that, it looks like our version was a cover, but it really wasn't intended as a cover. It was intended as an original song that Stevie wrote for Jeff, for repaying him for playing on his album. So this is why I love doing this song fest stuff, because I learn stuff like this that you would never know otherwise. Okay. Well, That's this stuff great. is in my book. If you had read my book, you would have known this. Well, you got to send it to me then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Then I'll read it. All right. Let's go to the next thing, which is definitely different for you. You played with Rod Stewart for a long time. I want to hear all about that. But you actually co-wrote the song, Do You Think I'm Sexy? And you play on that as well. I mean, I that's a departure for I you. don't think you're sexy. Well, basically, with Rod, it always worked the same way. He heard something on the radio, it was number one in the country, and said, I want a song like that. In this case, it was Missing You by the Stones. So we all went back home and wrote what we thought would be like a track for Rod. I went to my buddy Dwayne Hitching's house, who had a TX studio. We had a drum machine and uh, keyboards and all that. And he took what I wrote, added a little bit to it. We did a demo. Gave it to Rod and he loved it. And when we actually recorded it, and unfortunately, two days ago, our bass player, Phil Chen from that record and the band, passed away. Huh. You know, which really sucks. And he was a great friend of mine. And, you know, on my album with uh, Fernando, we do Do You Think I'm Sexy as a Reggae. And, <laughs> and Phil Chen taught me how to play reggae because he's from Jamaica. 
Uh-huh. He's a Jamaican Chinese guy. He's an awesome guy, great bass player, and good friend. So I was really bummed out when I heard yesterday that he passed away. But I knew it was coming, though. But anyway, so we had, when we did record it, uh, our guitar player, Gary Granger from the band, I was talking to him yesterday, and I asked him about that. He said there was two guitars, bass, drums, and uh, Dwayne Hitchings playing keyboard. That was the original track. And I think we had a conga player, percussionist. And then Tom Dowd added to it. He had an orchestra. He added Tom Scott. He added David Foster. He added another keyboard player. He added a female singer singing the little line. You know, and all of a sudden we are from 24 track, we're on 48 tracks. So when you do that, everything shrinks because the original on 24 track was a big fat rock sound like Missing You. You know, it sounded really good. But then Tom did what he did to it. And when we heard it, we were all like, whoa, man, what happened to the big fat sound? You know, when it was done mixed and it went to number one. Sounds a little bit like Phil Spector, uh, you know, on the on Get Back. Yeah, it went to number one on every three countries. And we said, well, I guess he was right. You can't argue with success, right? Exactly. You've had such a varied background. I mean, you play with so many different people. It was, there, was there any one band or any one era that really stands out in your mind? I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's like saying they all stood out in its way. You know, Vanilla Fudge. First band, Ed Sullivan Show twice, you know, big hit singles, blah, 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 big albums. Cactus, kick-ass power jam band, you know, BBA with Jeff Beck, you know, playing with Jeff, jam band, great stuff. Rod Stewart, giant hits, number one records, millions and millions of records. I got so many gold and platinum records from Rod, and then which led me to do other artists that got gold and platinum records, you know. All that stuff is awesome. Blue Murder, fantastic. King Cobra, my own band, you know. It's just everything had its thing for me, you know. Good for you. You know, it really is fantastic because so many guys, you know, if they hit it big with one band or one situation, that's it for them. And you've hit it big with so many of these different artists and bands and situations. Good for you. There's so, so few people that are like that. Yeah, you know, because I'm I'm from New York. I was always, my passion was music and playing. So when one thing was ending, something happened, it broke up. I immediately had my tentacles out looking for the next thing because, you know, I was never a guy that, uh, I, I say this a lot now, I never got into football like every Sunday, watch football and watch baseball and watch, you know, basketball and, and you know, get into all that like most guys do, drinking beers and what. I never got into that. My thing was music, passion, drums, you know, doing things for drums. I wanted to be the Gene Cooper of rock, you know. I wanted to be, uh, you know, bringing the drums out front and making the drums a part of the, like Gene Cooper did. You know, he brought the drums out front, made them, you know, a part of the band that was focused on the drums. And that's, that's what right. my whole career was about. And then I got into doing clinics. I wrote drum books. Um, you know, it was a whole other part of my career and I helped. You know, I had four, over 400,000 people bought my big drum book. So right there, there's 400,000 drummers that I help, you know. You have 400,000 students out there playing Carmine Peace drums. More than that, because I'm sure they handed it to their sons, you know, different friends. Fantastic. And then when, when I did clinics in Mexico, 
they didn't even have the book. They had copies of the book, you know. So God knows how many more of those were down in Mexico and South America, you know, just copies of everything. But all in all, you know, I've helped people. You know, I know people like uh, Greg Bissonette, Dave Weckl, Joey Jorgensen from Slipknot, even Andrew Dice Clay. They went to my book, you know. So to me, it's a, it's a great honor that, that I, those guys went through it and a great honor that uh, I had the idea to do it, you know. We have been talking here with the great Carmine Apice. Carmine, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I can't even begin to tell you. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you. Very interesting question. And now we're going to listen again to, uh, like I said, the song that started off underneath the introduction. This is my version of Fire by Jimi Hendrix from uh, Serbia, the concert that we played in Serbia a few years ago on the Greetings from Serbia album. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at the pgsstore.com.
Can I take a selfie with you guys? Is that okay? Is that okay? All right, one. You guys are so pretty. Thanks. Bye, guys.